Welcome to ID the Future, the podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm your host, Todd Butterfield. Today, the botched body, bad design or bad logic? On that topic, I'm pleased to talk with Steve Lofman. Welcome back to the program, Steve. Hey, Todd. Good to be here. Steve is a consultant in the field of enterprise architecture, dealing with the design of very large, very complex composite information systems that are orchestrated to perform specified tasks in demanding environments. Kind of like the human body, right? Yeah, well, I, about uh, four years ago, I decided to turn my attention to uh, biological systems, which are uh, way more interesting than the enterprise information systems wow. I used to work so I guess I should change my intro. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. We'll okay. we'll get to that someday. Okay. Well, today you're responding to the key points of an essay written by Dr. Nathan Lentz in the promotion of his book. Would you please describe his basic premise? Yeah, so Dr. Lentz's uh essay talks about uh all the mistakes made by uh, evolution in generating the human body. And, uh, you know, aside from the traditional uh, bald-faced assertions about uh, previously debunked claims, uh, you know, what Jonathan Wells would call zombie science, uh, he talks about uh, things like junk DNA. He makes statements like the DNA, uh, the DNA in our cells is littered with huge stretches of repetitive, useless gobbledygook. Well, that's been proven to be false, and it's been proven for many years. Um, he, he, he does a lot of storytelling. It's very imaginative, very colorful, but mm. there's, no, you know, there's no proof for any of this stuff. So it's, it's bald-faced assertions. And, and, but in the end, the whole article, and uh, presumably the, the entire book that he's, uh, he's publishing, is mainly just one long, bad design argument. And and uh, bad design arguments have been around for a long time, but they're they're not very compelling. So my intention in this article that I that I wrote for Evolution News is to show that that argument is uh, not a very strong argument. I don't really take on the individual assertions, but I do want to address this bad design argument because a lot of people are persuaded by that, and that that's not necessary. It's not a very good argument, and uh, there's ways to get around that. So that that's my goal here. He's using the, the notion of finding errors in our body design, then, it sounds like you're saying, to validate randomness in our existence. Right. So he's, he's claiming that because there are all these errors in the body, that the only way that could have happened was not a designer, but through some sort of random or... Uh, unintended consequence from some other process. So, Gotcha. We've been quoted as saying the following. Almost invariably, when bad design arguments are trotted out, it has less to do with actual bad design and more to do with one of the following causes. So we're going to go through those that you have spoken of. And first, please talk about not understanding the design. Yeah, so that's if you talk to an engineer, these kind of arguments are sort of, they lack strength. Let's say they, they seem kind of silly. Anyone who's designed a system, a complicated system, knows that in order to critique the design, you have to understand the design criteria. What were the design objectives? 
What were the functional requirements? What did it need to do? What were the design constraints? What were the non-functional requirements? Things like redundancy or adaptability or robustness. And then, of course, there are other desirable properties that the designer might have intended, but which may not make sense to anyone else. So unless you understand these things for a given system, it's really dangerous to try to critique the design. Absolutely. And it seems to me like anybody who tries to do this is almost assuming that they know more than the one who would have done the designing. Another point you made is another reason for critics of body design is not accounting for design trade-offs. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is this is classic systems engineering. Uh, you know, if you, you so you have in all complex systems, you have conflicting design requirements or design constraints. So you have to make design trade-offs. This is not rocket science. Everybody who who does design or engineering or systems work understands this. So when you have a design decision in one area, it has natural consequences and it may impact a design in another area. So decisions that are optimal for the whole, for example, may appear to be suboptimal with respect to any given subsystem or component. So, uh, you know, examples are all, all around us. So in an airplane, you want the shortest cable distances for your electrical cables, but you can't have an electrical cable going through an HVAC duct. So the air ducts uh, may take priority. You route the electrical cables around the ducts, so that makes the electrical cables longer and therefore more expensive. Makes sense. But, that, but that's just a common design trade-off. That happens all the time. So it, it's really hard to say that some part of the body is poorly designed when, in fact, the whole actually works. This is sort of cool. The fact that your body works at all with so much complexity is very cool. So an example of this, Todd, is blood pressure. So your your body needs to get blood to your brain. And when you're upright, that means you have to work against the laws of gravity. So That's you need true. blood pressure to push blood up to your brain. It's like fluid, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to go downhill. Well, so you have blood pressure that gets blood to your brain, but then it's going to tend to pull up in your feet. So right. your body needs separate systems to keep the blood from pooling in your feet and staying there. So, you know, is that good design? Is that bad design? It's design. It works. Exactly. Uh, Another likely cause for someone like Nathan Lentz and others who are continuing to try to find fault with our body's design, you've said, is failure to acknowledge degradation over time. Sure. So we all know. Everything falls apart over time. We get this. You know, my knees hurt more now than they did when I was 20. So when that degradation happens in an inheritable place or time, then your offspring is going to inherit that degradation. For example, if, if you have mutated DNA in an egg cell, human egg cell, that egg will produce offspring with that mutated DNA. Okay. So, there's, again, this is not complicated, but the real lesson isn't whether degradation occurs, but why it doesn't occur more often. Uh-huh. Why, why in the world do humans look 
today, just like they did thousands of years ago. Good point. There's there's so little degradation happening. That's that's actually the exact opposite of botched. And again, you make the point that just because something is occasionally degrading doesn't mean it's not designed. That's right. That's right. Next, what is the logical fallacy of body design critics? I love logic. <laughs> uh, yeah, not everybody does. Um, <laughs> but, well, bad design does not equal no design. You know, again, this is not complicated. So uh, when uh, the Lloyds of London building was built in London, I don't know if people are familiar with that, but it was a, a lot of people declared that was a terrible design. People hated that building because all the facilities, all the all the things that are typically on the inside of the building, they put on the outside. So it's, it actually is a fairly oh. ugly building. <laughs> but it, you can't claim that it wasn't designed. It works. The power works. The HVAC system works. The elevators work. People can get to their offices and get out when they need to. It's a working building. So you can't claim that just because you don't like the design that it was not designed. So that's, that just doesn't follow logically. I agree with you completely. So finally, you said a cause for errors committed by those who denigrate our body's design is aesthetic considerations. I think you just alluded to that a little bit, but uh, let's uh, dig in a little further. Yeah. So, so this is, I think this is what almost always these really boil down to is the argument goes something like this. I see this in this system over there. And I wouldn't have done it that way. And, you know, I just really don't like it. So, mm -hmm. therefore, it's bad design, which is... Well, you can say of, that. It just doesn't doesn't necessarily make the argument that there was no design. Right. It's sort of, it's sort of silly on the face of it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't like the way that car over there was designed, but that doesn't mean it wasn't designed. It's, it, it may violate your aesthetic. And, and I think a lot of people have trouble distinguishing this sort of subjective aesthetic uh, consideration from bad design. And they're, they're not the same thing at all. So I think that mistake is made a lot, and it's, it's just not very compelling. Not at all. I, in fact, I struggle often. In fact, one of the first things when I was a child, I was always amazed at, at what the body can do even before I – tried to decide whether there was an intelligence behind my body or not. Uh, it's just beyond miraculous. And it, for, for me, these kinds of books and arguments that come out look like they're really striving to disprove something to get away from something. But maybe that's another discussion. Well, I, well, there's a couple of things we can say there. Uh, and I, I included some of these in my article, but there's a certain smugness mm. to this kind of argument. And I, 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 uh, when I talk to people who, who raise this kind of argument, I, I like to turn the argument around and ask the people who are pushing this sort of bad design argument, how many actual working systems have you personally successfully designed and constructed? Mm. How many design trade-offs did you have to make to do that? How did you resolve conflicting design constraints. What exactly. impacts did those decisions have on other subsystems? And the, the killer question, of course, is to what extent did your successful design compare in complexity to the human body? Bingo. And, you know, 
honestly, nobody can get through that and still make a bad design argument about the human body. Agreed. So, so I, I, I like to, to think that what we're looking at here is just this sort of bizarre blend of ignorance about actual systems design and arrogance, which is this sort of, I could do better. Uh, or if, if God did it, it would be better than that because mm. I can see problems with it. <laughs> you know, there's, that sort of smacks of arrogance to me. And, I, and in the end, this is just an inherently weak argument. So the other question I like to ask is, uh, you know, do you, if you're a proponent of this kind of argument, do you personally, in your heart of hearts, actually find this to be a compelling argument? Or are you just trying to, are you just trying to push me away or push the idea of design away? Mm-hmm. Have you ever asked and, anyone that? Oh, yeah, I have. And, oh. and the people who are honest almost invariably, and I haven't done this a lot, but almost invariably they'll admit that they don't find this exact argument compelling either. Uh. So I, you know, if, if they don't find it compelling and they, and they're pushing it on you, then maybe you shouldn't find it compelling either. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you take it to that degree. In fact, it's a pretty good line of thinking for anyone. You just sort of laid it out here toward the end, uh, who wants to engage someone, just ask that series of questions and, and see what happens. Well, the, the bottom line for uh, Darwinian evolution here, which is, seems to be the goal of people like uh, Dr. Lentz, is to somehow bolster the explanatory sufficiency of neo-Darwinism, and it, it just doesn't do that. And um, so it's, it suggests to me that uh, the proponents of Darwinism are grasping at any straw there's not much left. I think the theory is exhausted. It's, it's mm-hmm. explained everything it's ever going to explain, and it's, it's run out of ideas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the complexities discovered in living systems continue to, to get more interesting and more complex and more fine-tuned. That's for sure. So I, I think they're, they're running on empty, and, and um, it'll be really interesting to see where this goes in the next few years. I, I think... I think the Darwinian enterprise is is about done, Good. and I'm I'm really interested to see how that that happens. Me too. What would you recommend somebody who might be thinking like this author could grab from the library to read about the um, let's say the irreducible complexity or the the amazingness of the design of the body. I would recommend, in fact, my final note in my talking points here is instead of arguing about these, uh, you know, arguing with these bad design proponents, Mm -hmm. it's much more interesting to examine the actual design of the human body. Absolutely. And, and and I think if you, if you come to the, the body as if it were designed, assuming that everything there has a purpose rather than is some sort of junk, that it will be a much more productive approach for biological research, especially for medicine. Absolutely. And, that, and I, think the, I think the place to turn for that, the, the best thing I can think of is Dr. Glixman's series at Evolution News called The Designed Body. It's his 81-part mm. series on how incredible the design of the human body is. There you go. Steve Loffman, thank you for setting the record straight and for joining me today. Ah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure to be here. 
Until next time, this has been Todd Butterfield for ID the Future. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.